0: Welcome to the Martech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss marketing in an industry that I am very unfamiliar with finance. Joining us is Jeremy Krantz, who's the Director of Marketing at Fintrix, which is the leading family office data research and intelligence platform to the alternative investment industry and the private capital markets. Today, Jeremy is going to talk us through the landscape of marketing in the FinTech space. Okay, on with the show. Here's our interview with Jeremy Krantz, Director of Marketing at Fintrix. Jeremy, welcome to the MarTech Podcast.
1: Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, no, I'm excited to connect. And it's great to talk about an area of marketing that I'm not familiar with, as I mentioned in your intro, which is marketing in the finance space. When I think of marketing and finance, I think of it as one of the industries, which is just sort of its own beast, similar to healthcare, where... Lots of nuance, lots of TLA's, three-letter acronyms that only industry people might know. So I'm excited to hear a little bit about what you've learned about the finance industry being a longtime marketer, but a relatively new entrant into that industry. Let's start off by just talking a little bit about your background and about the company that you work for.
1: Absolutely. I was actually born and raised in Paris, France. I lived there for about 20 years. I'm an American citizen through my father and moved to the US for college, get away from the folks and went to college, I got a degree in marketing management and management, graduated in 2009, and basically junior year, through my curriculum, started working with Google directly on some AdWords project, and fell in love with paid search, and basically, have been doing it ever since.
0: So you have a PPC background. Talk to me about a couple of the companies that you've worked with after graduating.
1: Sure. Basically, senior year, right out of college, joined a small startup in the Boston area that got acquired not once, but twice. So went from about 10 people to 10,000 people. So it was pretty exciting, and that happened over the course of a few years. That company eventually was Symantec, the leading IT security company. I've also been on the agency side. at a couple of agencies, most recently Co-Marketing, which specializes in B2B marketing in the Boston area, and also recently worked at the Greek yogurt company, Faye, for a year and a half as well.
0: Was it Faye? I always thought it was Fage. <laughs> no, it's Faye. Faye, okay.
1: And that's B2C. So I've had a pretty interesting mix, all kinds of verticals. is great because you get exposed to so many different accounts. I've been on the agency side for B2B and for B2C. So I've been in medical, mineral mining, gas mining, automotive, pretty much you name it, I've been there. Anything from higher ed to Greek yogurt and now financial tech.
0: Talk to me a little bit about the shift into the financial technology industry. You've obviously created a PPC background that has allowed you to move around. What have you learned about the fintech space? Give us the lay of the land.
1: The financial industry, one of the big things I've learned is it's incredibly clustered and siloed. There's a lot of different verticals within finance that people specialize in. Somebody working on hedge funds, it's very different than somebody working in real estate investment or alternative investments. And each of these things, it's really a beast of its own. They each could have very different strategies and business goals. So really making sure to to understand that it's not a holistic approach, you really have to get a little bit more granular with it.
0: So we're going to talk a little bit about the details of marketing in finance. And you mentioned that the landscape is broad. And again, I'm a layman in this industry. I do not know a lot about the financial industries. I think of it as banking, investing, and then maybe other asset classes like real estate as well. And you broke them up into a couple different groups. You specifically work in alternative investments. What does that mean?
1: Alternative investments, the definition would be private equity hedge funds, managed futures, real estate, and commodities. It's nothing like public markets. It's kind of a separate entity entirely. Within that, you also have impact investing, which is taking off quite a bit. You hear a lot more about that right now.
0: And impact investing is essentially investing with a social purpose. Correct. So the area that you're working is not in banking. It's not in institutional investing, which is stocks and bonds. It is in all of the collective other asset classes, including real estate and some of the other things that I mentioned. Talk to me a little bit about the strategies for marketing and who the customers are when you're working in this industry.
1: That's really been the biggest challenge is really kind of putting a face to what our target audience is. Ultimately, our audience is anybody looking to raise capital for their hedge fund, for their projects, and that seems pretty vague, but ultimately, it would be fund managers, tech founders, people who already may have gone through series A, series B, they're looking to raise more, you know, $30 million, $50 million. And that's basically where we come in with our list of family offices that essentially could help them with that.
0: Okay, so your customer is... Not an investor, but it's somebody that is looking for capital that's trying to source investors.
1: That is exactly it. Correct.
0: So talk to me a little bit about how you think about approaching somebody that is looking for money. What's the marketing strategy there?
1: One of the first things I did early on is really try to put myself in the shoes of those people and how would that person interact online, assuming they only had internet access and a browser. What would be the steps they take to get to our database, essentially? And what would they see? What's the landscape? And there's a lot of competition in that space. It's a very niche industry, and it's a very sleepy category in finance. Even though there's trillions of dollars being invested by these family offices, there's very, very little coverage right now online. So it's really kind of finding that sweet spot, taking a less is more approach, meaning focusing on quality versus quantity.
0: So I want to go back for one second. When you say family office, what do you mean by family office? Because I think family office, I think of like going to your neighborhood orthodontist. I'm, I'm sure that's a little different than what you're describing.
1: So a family office is an organization that's sole purpose is to manage individuals' net worth and anything legal, hiring, anything like that. Typically to qualify it, to have those services, to have a net worth of $400 million or more that's changing a little bit as well. So hey, hopefully you and I, maybe one day we'll have our own.
0: Let me be the first one to say I do not have a family office right now. I have an office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not a family office. Big difference.
1: Hopefully one day you'll have your own. So those family offices, they can be single family offices, so dedicated to one family, or they can be multifamily office.
0: Okay. So this is essentially... High net worth individuals using their money to invest in other properties to try to manage their wealth. So that's why it's a family office because it's essentially rich people giving money to institutions.
1: Yeah. So family offices have a lot of different services everything from investment management, legal, hiring, HR, next of kin. If anything goes sour, it typically does in a lot of larger families. We cover a lot of that through some of our recent interviews on our site. We ask people about the So it's a really interesting space because the amount of money is unfathomable. Having a family office is one thing, but seeing what they do with that money is like next level. It really is Mm eye-opening. So as of late, a lot of these family offices like to keep things pretty private to protect their clients' privacy, but that's also changing. A lot of them are now co-investing, sharing deals together. So they're opening up
0: Right. So this is slightly different than the traditional angel investment portfolio, right? Where there's a much lower barrier to entry to be an angel investor. You can go on the angel list and I believe become a certified investor for like, if you have a net worth of a million bucks or something a little bit more reasonable. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. So talk to me about how you're marketing to the people that are looking for money, trying to make connections to these family offices. So are you trying to recruit family offices to your service, or are you just aggregating their listings?
1: We have a dedicated research team that takes care of adding family offices and their contacts to our database, and that's continuous round the clock. But more importantly, what I do is really try to get people to understand that Typically, especially in the space, a lot of databases are static. It's a bunch of spreadsheets that are updated once or twice a year Mm -hmm. or a full platform that's cloud-based, real-time updates. You can share lists, you can share contacts within it, so it's great for teams looking to raise capital.
0: So talk to me about how you're finding people that are actively searching for capital for investments.
1: The strategy is definitely different now than it was when I first started in late 2018. I've been here about six months and we've already shifted a couple of times. Mostly because everything's changed in paid search. One of the things is just understanding that the strategy has to be omni-channel. It has to be everywhere. You can't just put all your money in Google Ads and just hope for the best. It just doesn't work anymore. We've been starting to leverage things like Quora, LinkedIn ads, Bing ads, and we're looking at other things as well within the B2B space to start not only building audiences, but really targeting a lot more granularly down to different individuals that match job titles, companies, or groups.
0: So you're taking a digital approach to reach people that are investing. And the thing that sticks out to me is when somebody is looking for money, they're not necessarily broadcasting that signal. So how are you building your targeting criteria? And what are some of the things that you're looking for to understand who would be a good fit as opposed to just broadly buying keywords related to, hey, I'm looking for money?
1: Believe it or not, they actually kind of do broadcast it. People who want family office information to basically search for it. They either network and ask around and hopefully our name comes up and it does happen more and more now, luckily. But a lot of times we do leverage search engines or things like Quora, and there's a few other websites that I've kind of dug up where there's threads around that topic. So it's just a matter of how do we leverage that. It's pretty easy, right? If they're searching on search engines, we advertise, we optimize organically. If it's on Quora, we're now building marketing lists around certain topics specifically around family offices, family offices, databases and things, and away from more general queries that would be unqualified traffic.
0: That's interesting to me. You know, I understand that if somebody is trying to get educated on how to fundraise, they are likely to be in the initial stages of figuring out where the money that they're looking for can come from. If they're looking specifically for family offices, then they're probably a little bit farther down the past. What's the dividing line in between where you think of somebody that's in the research stage, understanding where to find capital and when somebody is a good fit for a family office?
1: On a query level, we're trying to move away from what or who to more of a where. So any query, like, you know, what is a family office? How to capital raise? Not interested. It's more, where can I get family office information or family office lists or family office data? And there's a lot of negative keywords. There's a lot of placements and rules that we have in our audience matching that have developed, and I'm still refining it all the time. And we score leads. So that's something that's new. We hadn't done that before. We started doing that a couple months ago. So we really do look at patterns over time within the leads as well.
0: It's funny, going into this interview, my thought was that we were going to be talking about the landscape shift of marketing and finance moving from networking and events and handshakes and cocktails to a more digital approach have you run into headwinds taking a very digital approach in this industry? Do you feel like the marketing mix that you're applying is something that is spread across the entire industry? Or is it the old boys network managing how the capital is shared is no longer really the the approach that is prudent?
1: Within our competitive landscape, we're kind of right in the middle. There's a lot of smaller players who clearly don't have the resources, time and dedication to do some of the things we're doing, luckily for us, at least for now. And then you have huge companies and we're probably not quite on their radar. So luckily for us as well, we're kind of in a good spot right now. Hopefully this podcast won't blow it up.
0: (laughs) I'll do my best to try to keep it under wraps.
1: So networking is a huge part of marketing and finance. Cocktail events, martinis, exchanging business cards and handshakes, huge part of it. But that's not something I can really control directly. We do go to events. Our team is signing out to Vegas next week for Salt Conference. So there's still a big play in that. But ultimately, my goal as a marketing director, especially a digital marketing director, is really to look at what is our data, are we measuring the right things, and how can we take that data and make better decisions and apply it across the sales while solving their challenges. And that really comes down to, almost all of it comes down to positioning. Positioning our brand, positioning our content, positioning our ads and really try to scale that. I think scale by far, especially as a startup with limited budgets, that's our biggest challenge.
0: So talk to me about how you think about positioning. What are you doing to differentiate your essentially platform, your database of family offices to help people understand how they can raise capital and what's the best place for them to find it?
1: One of the big things we've done, and this is recent, is we start to create different data pieces to not only showcase what we offer, but also things happening in the space. So we'll have like summaries of different headlines of major things that have happened in the industry. Or we also have an interview series where we'll interview people who work in the industry and we'll talk about their challenges, custom questions based on their field, their background and where they are that we think are interesting. Whether it's solving for the GPR regulation in Europe, to what it's like to work with high net worth individuals and some of the challenges they might have that we might not know about. It's a completely different world. I was exposed to it briefly when I was working at Fayet, which is a family-owned company. The CEO is a very wealthy individual. And luckily for me, I spent quite a bit of time with him in the conference rooms and seeing him kind of work and function. And until you're exposed to it, you just can't imagine it.
0: Without getting into the details of how the operating team at Fayet works, I'm curious to hear what you think are some of the trends for when you're working with high-worth individuals that are funding a business as opposed to when you're working with an institution that is backing a company. Where do the personalities get involved? And what are some of the benefits and takeaway of working with these high-net individuals?
1: We don't work with them directly. We work with people seeking capital from them. We have people come to us saying, hey, I'm in this vertical. It could be anything from solar or renewables to real estate deals and We're looking to raise $20 million for this project here or $30 million for this. In the US, can you show me family offices that invest in this category? Uh, We are able to, and it's their job to access and pitch them.
0: It seems like part of the pitch is going to be why a family office is better than other options to raise capital. Obviously, you mentioned that there are some case studies and some white papers. What is the high-level summary of why this is a better investment strategy or who's it appropriate for?
1: Part of it actually is discretion. People want to keep things on the hush-hush, away from competition, away from the press, away from attention. Family offices are probably one of the main reasons why they choose that. Also, just experience. A lot of family offices specialize a lot within asset classes. That's changing a little bit too, but they don't diversify as much as big investment banks. So they bring a lot of expertise to those deals, which is another attractive reason why people go that route.
0: Interesting. The fintech industry, like I said, something that is very much foreign to me. This is a really interesting case where you're working in a financial space that obviously is a different asset class than what I think most people think about fintech, but the nuances of who is doing the investing, where the money is coming from, why people are looking for that, and how it overlaps with the digital marketing strategies is really fascinating to me. So- That wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Jeremy Krantz, the Director of Marketing at Fintrix, for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Jeremy is going to walk us through more of the digital playbook and channel mix that he applies in the fintech space. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Jeremy, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet at Jeremy Krantz, which is J-E-R-E-M-Y-K-R-A-N-T-Z. Or you can visit his company's website, which is fintrx.com, F-I-N-T-R-X.com. A couple of links in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. If you're a subscriber to the Martech podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you. So we created benjshap.com question where you could send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is Ben J. on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Jeremy Krantz, the director of marketing at Fintrix, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. And if you'd prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we also have a new once-a-week newsletter with links to our audio players, episode summaries, and contact information for our guests. To subscribe to our newsletter, go to benjshap.com newsletter. Again, all of these links are in our show notes. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.